this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has over 150,000 audiobooks to choose from. Fiction, nonfiction, bestsellers, and every category imaginable. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. So to go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot for a free 30-day trial and to let them know we sent you. This is the Book Riot Podcast, the weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 64, and we're recording on Thursday, July 31st. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're the editors of BookRiot.com. Shinsky's out in Florida. LeakyCon. I think she's officially gallivanting. Yeah. yeah. She's down at LeakyCon doing research. (laughs) Um, LeakyCon, it's... It started out, I think, as like a Harry Potter fan convention. Is that right? Is that your understanding? As far as I know. And now it's just kind of a general geekery fan convention of of everything. Um, It's like, and it's not like Comic-Con, it's like an industry thing, and people will be talking about the new Avengers movies. I don't even think there's all that much comic book stuff. So it's more like, what, Harry Potter and Hunger Games and... What are, yeah, I guess all like, the major fandoms. Yeah, I looked at I looked at the pan, panel lineup a long time ago, and it was mm-hmm. it's like YA authors and children's book authors and yeah stuff like that. And I, very I, diverse. I do remember noting that that the yeah. panel lineup was super awesome. Yeah, and I I think the I'm not going to say average, but the representative attendee is like a 13 year old reader <laughs> of some kind, right? A 13 to 15 year old reader somewhere in that age. Yeah. Not that a lot of adults aren't going. Um, for fun and because they want to, but that seems to be the, the. Um, I don't I hear, know. I hear rumor that Shinsky is going to cosplay as a book fairy. She is. She told so. me about it, and I <laughs> can't quite picture it. But we'll have to scare up a picture and. Oh, uh, I demand photo put it, documentation put it somewhere. Uh, let's see. Look, we got a, we got three new, um, book ride things to deal with. Right. Okay. So one, yes. and maybe the most pertinent to this show, is that our friend, um, our co-writer, contributor at Book Riot, Liberty Hardy, is going to September second start writing a weekly newsletter for us that it's about new books that are out. So she's going to write it in her own unique, only Liberty way can go. She is probably the most intense reader I know. I don't oh, know yeah. if you can say. She reads hundreds and hundreds of books every year. She reads way ahead. She works at a bookstore in New Hampshire. Don't be creepy. Um, <laughs> and she reads more than any of us, really, and has wonderful taste. And she's a lot of fun and super smart um, and a lot of fun to read. So if you're interested in signing up for that newsletter, it's email. I'll put a link to the show notes where you can find them at bookriot.com slash podcast. Look for episode 64. And whatever the show title will be, we won't know until the show's over. But you can sign up there. I guarantee a good time. Um, I think that'll be cool. We do new books here, but Liberty will pick out things that we've never heard of. Yeah. Um, and we'll make them sound even better than we ever could for uh, the best book we can think of. So that's really cool. I'm excited about that. Another thing I'm excited about, um, deals.bookriot.com is another small side project we're doing. Basically, we're pulling together and looking through all the major ebook and book selling places every day and finding what the book deals are that day. Um, publishers are experimenting pretty hardcore with pricing. And so you'll see all kinds of crazy things, like something will go down to two bucks for a day, um, or audiobooks and all along the way. But it's really hard to keep track of if you don't follow every single person on Twitter or every publisher email newsletter and so on and so forth. And some of them are even publicized. Some of them are Kobo or Barnes and Noble or Amazon just trying a pricing experiment and dropping the price down to see if anything interesting happens to sales. So already things I've seen, just really been doing it for about 10 days now and paying attention to it. So let's see, yesterday, I'm trying to think. There were the Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt the other day, which won the term of books um, a couple of years ago. Was a, it was two bucks uh, on ebook, which is a heck of a deal. Um, let's see, yesterday, 
Uh, today there's Stephen King um, on sale, the Green Miles on sale for two ninety nine at Barnes and Noble. I think the whole um, thing. The whole thing, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good deal. Uh, the Frank Miller's um, The Dark Knight Returns, one of the seminal graphic novels, was on sale through all the major retailers for the 75th anniversary of Batman. I guess it was last week sometime. Um, anyway, those are some examples of what we're looking out for. And the other thing is if you find a deal or if other people find a deal, they can submit it there as well. So it's not just me and the Book Riot people, um, though we're going to be doing a lot of it and finding the deals that we can, but we're not everyone and we can hive mind it a little bit. So that's deals.bookriot.com. You can see if you want to submit things, you have to sign up for an account, but if you just want to browse the site, don't have to sign up for anything. That's cool. Last thing, our Read Harder t-shirt is back. The first Woo-hoo. t-shirt we did, I guess it was last fall, um, we sold a bunch of them and people have seen them out in the wild and really liked it. And ever since then, we've been getting requests to bring them back because it's a limited edition. Um, and they're back for the next, I guess, after the show airs, it'll be two weeks, or excuse me, a week. And August 12th? August 12th, August 12th, yeah. So go teespring.com, T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G.com, slash read harder number three. And you can find it there or a link in the show notes right here. We're doing all sorts of stuff. We are. And Amanda's on YouTube. She is. Yes. She's and, a busy bee. <laughs> and Shinsky is on YouTube as well. I think we talked about that last week. Oh, we did. And we got good feedback because I was saying at that point how um, the U- the URLs for your channel are all wacky. Mm-hmm. Like, and it started out as like youtube.com slash user uboat five seven four takes two eight two one. And our friend David Juarez, who has his own YouTube channel and others, suggested that we get our own custom URL, which I guess you can sign up for. And we did. And it is, make sure I get this right. I'm doing it off memory. It's youtube.com slash bookwrite video. Is that right? Is that what we went with? It's slash user slash bookwrite oh, video. Oh, slash you. Okay. youtube.com slash user slash bookwrite video. And let's see, you've done, you've done. Multiple. What have you? What videos have you done so far? Uh, I've done two adventures of a comic book newbie, um, and I've done a what I'm reading this week. And ah, Shinsky's okay. doing uh, in the mailbag. Shinsky gets a ridiculous amount of book mail. Yes, every week. So she's pulling out the coolest stuff that she's getting and doing quick videos about it. And often those are things that aren't coming out for a while. So yeah. if you're interested in, it's like it's kind of like the uh, coming attractions trailer. <laughs> um, so you know. If you're even more than what you hear on this show or Liberty's new newsletter, those are things will be coming out in anywhere from like three to three months to a year out, way ahead of the curve um, a lot of the time there. So those are all new things, and you should check any of those things, any or all of those things that you're interested in out. All right, let's do our first sponsor, and we'll get to the news. Our 99designs is back. Uh, 99designs is... So many, it's, a, it's, it's a place to go get design for whatever it is you're working on. So a lot of us have websites, newsletters, T-shirts, company whatevers. Um, Even if you're just doing something for fun for your friends, uh, if you need a logo, you need anything of this nature, you can go to 99designs. And what happens is you you submit your project. um, And then the designers there, they have a, a pool of designers that are looking at the new jobs all the time. And then a bunch of them will submit their ideas. And then you get to pick the one you want to use. Dozens of designers will compete for for the best design, and you get to pick. It's fast, it's affordable, and these are pros. They've got over 300,000 graphic designers signed up that are looking for a job all the all the, all the the time. Also, you get a 100% money-back guarantee. It's something you don't, you don't like, turns up, don't have to pay for it. So, as more of, it's it's easier than ever to have a, something online. This is something we've learned through our own site and our own doings of our own goings on. Easier ever than have a site, but it's still really hard to have a logo or a symbol or an, an icon that looks great. Um, that still is not easy, but this makes it as easy it possibly can be without you doing it yourself. If you sign up, you go to 99designs.com, 992number9s.com slash bookriot. If you sign up through there, you get a nine, you get a, a, a power pack of services, which includes your listing for your job will be highlighted, it will bump up to the top, um, and so that more designers will see it. And the more designers that see it, the better diversity of work you will see, and the more likely you will find something even better than what you could have imagined. So you can go anything there, T-shirts. Book covers, like if you're looking for a, to publish your own book, or something of that nature. You can get those big sticker car wrap things that you put on your car to advertise stuff. Um, 
if you want to do a Book Riot one, we would definitely take a picture of it, your own wrap for Book Riot. Uh, you could also get those stickers that you like put on your computer and stuff for your backpack and all those sorts of things. So 99designs.com slash Book Riot to get a power pack of service for free that would normally cost you 99 bucks. So thanks so much to 99designs for sponsoring the show. All right, here we go. Are you, are you, have you ever been embarrassed to read a book? It doesn't no. seem like your personality. I'm just throwing that no. out there. I have a lot of don't care juice. Yeah. Um, so we, this um, study got sent to us. I don't actually have a link to it, um, but it was done by, oh boy, um, Consumer Surveys Group. And they emailed it to us to let, it, to let us know they did it. And it's about, the question they asked is, have you ever been embarrassed by a book you're reading? Well, 78.4% of people are like Amanda, and they said no. Which, do you think, does that number say high or low to you? It seems fine. It seems where you thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, like about three quarters of people read what they want. Yeah, Never never feel it. Well, I guess the question is, these the people who are embarrassed have read what they want, but they're embarrassed about what they want to read, I suppose. That's true. (laughs) Um, I... Have you ever been embarrassed by a book that you're reading? I think I would have expected the no to be lower. More people would have been embarrassed at one point. Like, I'll give one example. When I was in fifth grade, I got sick. I was out for a week, and I read like 700 Nancy Drew books in a row. (laughs) That might be an overstatement. Uh, But I got to tell you, at fifth grade, I wasn't going to be going out there and telling all my friends that I had read 500 Nancy Drew books in a week. So I would have to answer yes to this question. Yes, I have been. Um, so 18.3% say yes sometimes, and 3.4% say always, means they're always embarrassed. Who are those folks? Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I wonder what they're, they're reading. So um, there were 3,000 responses, and the responses were, interestingly, this is 56.9% male and 43% female. Um, you can break it down by gender, too, which is interesting. Um, men said they were not embarrassed 80.8% of the time, and women said 76.1% of the time. So I guess women are slightly more embarrassed or slightly less yeah. likely to have never been embarrassed. <laughs> Women are more likely to have sometimes been embarrassed, 21.9%. <laughs> but interestingly, the always embarrassed, 4.8% of men and 2% of women. So the, the dudes that are most embarrassed, there are more of them, more than twice as many men are always embarrassed about what they're reading, which is a weird curve. Like, the sometimes the women are 50% more likely to be embarrassed sometimes, but the men are more than twice as likely to always be embarrassed. Any idea about that? I want to know what they're reading. Yeah. Is it like questionable stuff in the toilet? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Speaking of, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> I don't know what they might... Are they reading romance or something maybe? Or are they reading... Maybe it's just like straight up... Maybe they're or, reading Harry Potter and they're embarrassed about it. Or Playboy. Or, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't Does know. Does that count as reading? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm not really sure. I only buy it for the article. They didn't, they didn't do any kind of – they broke it down by gender, age, geography, sort of urban versus suburban and income level. But there isn't any kind of genre breakdown. The age thing is really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, let's see. Thirty-two point three percent of people eighteen to twenty-four. Oh wait, no, that's women. Hold on. Yeah, let me do it. Oh, all. twenty-two point five. Wait, which percent. which of women say yes sometimes? No, I just put of all men and women. Oh right, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So twenty-two percent of everybody eighteen to twenty-four mm-hmm. is sometimes are sometimes embarrassed, and then it seems to kind of go down, kind of the older people get until yes. forty-five. Yeah, and then suddenly they're embarrassed again. <laughs> the 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 person the age group least likely to be embarrassed by what they're reading is eighteen to twenty four. Um, only seventy four point three percent of them are embarrassed. Ne- are never embarrassed. The the age most likely to be embarrassed, I guess. Um, no, I'm sorry, I've got this backwards. Yeah, you're I've got backwards. this backwards. Eighty four point three percent of fifty five to sixty five sixty four year olds say they're never embarrassed, whereas the group most likely to say they're embarrassed. Um, Damn it. I've got this all mixed up. 
only, the 65 and older. 65 and older, they, they're, they, they have the most I don't care juice. Maybe they put in the prune juice. Um, <laughs> well, it makes sense. Yeah. 66.7% of 35 to 44-year-olds say they're always embarrassed, which is the highest number of any demographic I can find for the people who are embarrassed. So that's me, I guess. I'm 36 years old, and I'm sort of trying to think of why my peer group. You're a male. I'm a which dude. Which was also the highest. Yes, also the highest. What's with you, you people? Hmm. I don't know. I think reading a lot of like board books to your kids or something. Maybe more. Uh, maybe more. Maybe more. Um, expect like. I don't know. Maybe more business books. But would you be embarrassed about that? I don't know. Some people might be. Well, I think maybe it's kind of the corollary of the the great lit, white male literary novel. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's what we think we're supposed to be reading and we don't read it all the time. Right. Like we're supposed to be the 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 arbiters of literary taste. Not supposed to be, but we're we're given that position, right? Yeah. And so if we deviate from that and read, say, The Hunger Games or The Giver or The Astonishing X-Men, we don't feel like that's what we're supposed to be reading, I guess. That's the mm. best I can come up with. Oh, that's something else interesting to think about, the, the, like the rise of comic books in yeah. the last few years. And I wonder if there's any tie between that and this particular demographic. And YA especially. Like how many, I mean, I've read, I'm not embarrassed about it, but I've read The Hunger Games and mm-hmm. the first two of the Divergent series and, well, two and a half, and then I got so bored I had to stop. Yeah. Um, so maybe as those kinds of books have become more popular and you're just more likely to be, want to read them for pleasure or to see what's going on, you want to do it, but you're not super proud of doing it. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I can come up with. Uh, let's see. Anything else interesting on this? Oh, let's do money. Okay. I, I looked at this earlier and it was... Rich people. 6.4% of people who make one hundred to $150,000... Um, are always embarrassed. The sometimes, the people most likely to say they're sometimes embarrassed is the, is the lowest demographic, zero um, to, to $25,000. That's such an interesting, like, bifurcation. Well, it makes sense to, like, if you think about 18 to 24-year-olds who are also most likely to be embarrassed out of the age groups... Mm. Right. Are probably the people who fit into that. Yeah, there's probably some overlap there. Monetary demographic. One hundred percent of the respondents that made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more said they were never embarrassed. Because then you just don't care. You're just rolling around in money. <laughs> well, there was only care. one response. Oh, so it was just, the, <laughs> just that one guy. Just that one guy. That's the more than the one percent. I guess <laughs> the way up there. Um, this I found. This, this I found interesting. So, um. I don't know what to take from this necessarily. The people in the Midwest were the least likely to ever have been embarrassed. 82.3% said no, they'd never been embarrassed. The Northeasterners among us, 73.7% only had never been embarrassed. Um, Oh, and then the South, 80%, never embarrassed. Never embarrassed. It's weird because the Midwest also has the highest response and always embarrassed, 4%. They have very strong feelings. Very strong feelings. In the Midwest. <laughs> Either way, I guess that's true. Um, so there we go. So that's, that's uh, being embarrassed. Let's go to the other study we have um, that you, meant, you, you sort of uh, teased it before. Toilet, Alluded to. <laughs> toilet reading. Um, this was done at uh, the magazine Discount Center, I guess, um, is who posted it. I guess it's their, they're doing research for who to sell magazines to, I suppose. And this asked people what they read on the toilet, how often, so on and so forth. So uh, the average amount of time people spend in the bathroom every day is 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. Um, 37% of women spend more than an hour and 15% of men spend more than an hour. Um, now, that 30 minutes in bathroom time, they don't break it down by activity. And I, that's all I'm going to say about that. Right. That's brushing your teeth, combing your hair, putting on your makeup, and and things you do on the seating um, <laughs> as well. 70 5% of Americans have used a mobile phone in the bathroom. Okay, I got to stop there. Yeah. I am never touching anyone's cell phone. That, no, ever don't do it. You shouldn't again. do it. You shouldn't do that it. That is so gross. They, they do it. Uh, 63% of people read books, magazines, and newspapers while in the bathroom. Um, men and people age 34 or younger are significantly more likely to read in the bathroom than other demographics. 86% of men 
said the toilet was the place where they did most of their reading compared to 27% of women. Uh. Magazines are the most frequently used reading materials, um, followed by, let's see, newspapers, mail, mail, and mobile devices. A third of people read their mail in the bathroom. 67% of people read a text. 63% of people talk on the phone. Ew, ew, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. Uh, that that doesn't that doesn't I don't like that. Don't like that. <laughs> don't like that one. Um the the number one choice of reading material for men is erotic magazines. See? Okay. There it is. I was right. And they're embarrassed about it apparently. See the other yes. survey. Followed by 36% sports biographies. Then <laughs> crime novels, men's magazines, real life crime and gardening magazines, 9%. So men are three times as likely porn. to read gardening magazines on the toilet than women. Only three percent of women read gardening magazines. Women, their number one choice is interiors magazines and romance novels, gossip celebrity magazines, fashion magazines, parenting magazines, gardening magazines. I really want an age breakdown for this. I don't think we got that, did we? No, but like, no. There's an age breakdown of like the ages of people that use their phones in the bathroom, I guess, but not mm-hmm. this choice of reading material. Yeah. Like, I want to know how many. People, how many guys my age are reading sports biographies in the bathroom or gardening magazines? Yeah, I I need that information. Yeah, men's magazines. Um, men's magazines. As you mentioned, it's kind of gross, and so they say microbes don't do well on absorbent surfaces and will probably only survive a few minutes on newspaper, plastic book covers, and the plastic strips on e-readers are a different story. Microbes can live on those for hours, so <sighs> try not to read e-books or mobile devices on the toilet. Okay. I feel no like problem. this is something I always kind of wondered about, but I, now that I know it, I wish I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. And what you touch. Yeah. Boy. When it comes to other people's electronic devices. I mean. Wait, wait, wait. 3% of people put a television in their bathroom? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> hold the phone. Hold the Actually, phone. Actually, don't hold the, the phone. Yeah, don't hold put it. the phone down. Put the phone down and then explain and then to me. And then wash your hands. Why and then wash- do you have a TV? Maybe, I mean... Do I guess maybe you know what we have a business opportunity here, Amanda? <laughs> we need like um, disinfectant spray for mobile devices for electronics, mm-hmm. like Lysol spray, but just like it's a little spritzer so you don't get it all over there. I think we could really make we should do some book riot branded e reader disinfectant. I that <laughs> we're gonna retire. That's it. Oh my gosh, I figured it out. I cracked the code. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Kickstarter.com slash. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. So there we are there. Let, let's move on. That's not fun. I, I, I thought that would be more fun. It's just kind of more creepy and gross. It's than interesting. I yeah. Until you get to the microbe information. Well, I think it's interesting exactly in that voice you just used to say yeah. the word interesting. Like, it's interesting. interesting. All right. Let's get to pop culture. We had a couple of... Um, sort of uh, bigger, you know, outside of just the book world things pop up this week. So last week, Rebecca and I talked about that the Fifty Shades of Grey trailer was released. I hadn't watched it, but people were sort of saying it looks awesomely bad. It's kind <laughs> of the kind of the, the vibe I got from the reactions. Um, so, and so far, we weren't the only ones interested in it. Since then, it's become the most viewed movie trailer of all time online. Of course. With more than 14 million views in about eight days. Um, and also, as well, it's only correlative. We cannot um, we cannot ascribe causality, but I think it's fair to say that the reason that Fifty Shades of Grey has ascended to be the number one bestseller again uh. after some years off the number one spot and really off the top ten and top twenty, it's now reascended to the top of the the sales charts. So, uh, it's fair to say it's because the trailer came out right. People like, oh yeah, I oh, want to yeah. see that. I mean, it has to be right. I can't think of what else it would be. Um, so there we are. And I guess there's still people out there that are either A, hearing about Fifty Shades for the first time, or B, reminded that it exists and they never got around to it, or C, I guess maybe the movie is the thing, the coming of the movie is the thing that tipped them over the edge to be to be interested in it. Have you still not watched the trailer? No, I haven't You're watched it. You're not going to? I, uh, I don't think so. I don't why, okay. why, why, why am I going to watch it? Just, Curiosity? Just to be curious, I guess. Yeah. I feel like I, I mean, I've seen a couple of screen caps and like, I feel like I know what it is. Now, I, did you read the book? I read all three. You read all three. Mm-hmm. Now, t- my sense of it as someone who hasn't read the books or seen the trailer is right now is that the movie seems less potentially embarrassing than the book. Does that seem right? 
Uh, <laughs> no, you don't think so. Okay, that's fair. I don't think so because it sounds from the trailer just like they gave the main male character verbatim lines from the book. Uh, okay. And the dialogue in the book is, is some of the it, most it's, embarrassing. It's em- it's embarrassing dialogue. Not okay. embarrassing like they're saying things that embarrass me, but it's just bad. Like, yeah. It's just, <laughs> just clunky and writing. awkward and horrible. And to hear them, those words being said by a person is is more laughable than it is oh, titillating. A, see, I thought it know? might go the other way insofar as from what I've heard is that the the not even the non-dialogue writing in the books is also not great. But this is like this is a serious Hollywood production. Like yeah. the lighting is good and the production values is good and the editing and makeup and the costumes and set designs, all those things will have that professional veneer that I thought maybe would sort of make it seem less embarrassing on whole as sort of an artistic work than what people think of it. But maybe maybe it's made up for it by the, the awkwardness of seeing real life humans say sort of impossibly um, goofy. embarrassing, goofy. I had a bad start in life. You should stay clear of me. No, you they can't They said say that. that for real? Yes, yes. Like that verbatim? Yes. Wow, mm-hmm. that, that is bad. That is. I mean, that's really the thing that makes a movie seem terrible is really bad dialogue. Like, exactly. There's nothing to make it for me, at least, and maybe it's because I'm a word person. But bad dialogue is number one. And the concept has potential, especially since yeah. it's got kind of that art house modern kind of look. The movie, the trailer does, and Beyonce's got an awesome uh, kind of song for it. And the the story, the basic story of a young girl being seduced by an older kind of, yeah, not really. By he's not really older. By a richer guy with some weird hobbies, right? Could be. An excellent film, but if they just didn't use her words. Yeah, like if it's sort of more of a, yeah, maybe an art house kind of psychological thriller almost kind of yeah. deal, maybe. Because um, it is. I mean, most of the book, aside from being about what it's obviously about, is also about Mr. Gray's kind of weird psychological issues. Right, right. They could have done so much with that, and I don't know. Yeah, that's it. That's I hadn't really thought about that, that if they had actually sort of dialed it back a little bit. Maybe it would be a better movie, but maybe that's not what people going to the movie are looking for. Um, yeah. They're looking for Sharknado 2, but with handcuffs. <laughs> but with whips and chains. With whips and chains. <laughs> um, another trailer came out this week, and I, I guess we're at the end of our long journey here. We're coming to it, finally. Um, the, th- the trailer for the third and final Hobbit movie, and possibly I still kind of laugh when I know there's <laughs> three Hobbit movies, The Battle Why? of the Five Armies. Um, anytime you can get two prepositions into your subtitle, you know you know you've done a good job. Um, came out this week. Looks like a Hobbit movie. Sure does. Uh, they used one of the songs from one of the Lord of the Rings movies, um, and it looks like what you about what you would expect. There's going to be a big battle. There's going to be lots of fire. Some stuff of like dirty faced Bilbo looking at a ring. Um, <laughs> And that's that's kind of it. Do you like these? Have you seen these? I have seen none of you, them. No, not even the Lord of the Rings movies? No, I've seen the Lord of oh, the Rings. Oh, okay. I haven't seen any of the Hobbit movies. I was about to just pull out my internet plug and just <laughs> throw my computer to the ground. You're fired, Nelson. Yeah. yeah. So you, uh, with, um, you have no interest. I do have interest, but it's... I don't like um, waiting, so I was kind of uh, waiting for them all to be done, and then I'll binge watch them when they're yeah, all on Netflix. Yeah, that's smart. Well, you're like you, you're like me. We have young kids. Hard for us to get to the movie theater. Yeah, I haven't been to a movie in forever. So, <sighs> yeah, we, we. I think the last movie I saw in the theater was The Avengers. Um, so yeah. I did go see Maleficent, but I'm certainly not going to pay forty dollars for yes, a babysitter yes, to go yes, see yes, an yes, overbloated yes, yes, Hobbit yes. movie. But but you would have had time to have seen the first one or two um, since then. So that's interesting. Uh, you know, maybe, I mean, the third one, there's big battles, which Jackson does especially well. Mm-hmm. You get smog, you get all that stuff. I think maybe... Dragon Batch. Dra- dra- Dragon Batch. I totally stole that from Kate. One of our contributors uh, <laughs> did a, a rundown of the trailer today on the site, and she called him Dragon, Dragon Batch. Batch. And I'm just... That is really good. Sticking that in my pocket for future use. Um, I mean, pro- it might be a little bit better than the first two. Hey, I love... Love is strong. I really enjoyed the first two Hobbit movies. They're not good, but I like them. And I'm not embarrassed. That's fine. So anyway, there we go. All right. Let's let's let, you know, let's go down Amazon way. And we, there's this All little right. company we like to talk about based out of Seattle, might have heard them called um, um uh, Amazon. And uh, <laughs> is that how you say it? I'm not sure. Never heard of them you before. You know, I don't know. Anyway, so Amazon I think Amazon as a as a corporate body is having a head-scratching moment of I can't believe we're not winning with Hachette. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And they, they, in their own weird way, what they do is they release basically what's a press statement on their own forums. <laughs> uh, and so weird. they just say, you know, what they want. And this is the most, the most recent and the most revealing, um, I guess, discourse on either side. And Amazon basically says they're fighting about the price of eBooks. Apparently Hachette wants to keep the price of eBooks at $14.99. Um, and Amazon wants them to be nine ninety nine. That that is that the crux of the matter as you understand it? Uh, according to this statement. According to this yes. statement, yes. Very <laughs> fair. Um and Amazon does a lot of math and says, Well, we found if you make a book nine ninety nine that you get more people to buy it, even more and you make up for lost revenue per copy in the total number of copies sold. Um, the company, and they say that's good because the company is paying less. The com- the author gets a royalty check. And there's higher total revenue given. Um, they say that they propose that 35% should go to the author, 35% to the publisher, and 30% to Amazon. Um, and there you go. And that's what they say. That's what we should do. Um, and that Hachette is being a stick in the mud. And they uh, made some not-so-subtle references to past uh, malfeasance by you know, illegally colluding and forced us and so forth, so, so on and so forth. And I guess it keeps me out. The yeah, you don't like this. You, this what, can you, you? This bothered you from the from uh, Pixel One. Yeah, and I had a hard time kind of figuring out, like parsing what exactly about this statement bothers yes. me so much. And the thing about it is, is they're trying to subtly, well, maybe even not so subtly, make this into a moral yes, there thing it is. about how they are the champions of the customers, and all they're trying to do is defend. Poor little old authors mm-hmm. against Hachette. When in reality, Amazon is just tr- trying to negotiate what's best for their bottom line, right. which is totally fine. Yes. But if they would just say that, yes. I would be much less skewed out. Yeah. If they said something like, we think this is the best deal for us, and it also so happens we think it's the best deal for customers, even that I could deal with. Exactly. Like, but this whole thing at the bottom about 35% going to the author and yeah, 35% to Hesha. When have they ever cared yeah, about a publisher's they, they royalty workups with their authors? They don't Never. Care. Uh, and they don't care now. It reminds me, did you did you follow that story at all about that Comcast customer service call that went around virally the last <laughs> yeah. week? Um, I didn't listen to that because it would make me so awkward. I'd have to crawl into a hole and disappear <laughs> forever. Um, but I did read the Comcast CEO's response, which was kind of trying to, I think he was trying to like seem sympathetic. He was like, boy, yeah, that, I can see how we got a lot of criticism, criticism for that and justifiably so. But then he uses this double speak of, um, you know, our customer service representatives who make it easy for Comcast customers to stay with us have a hard job. Uh, and that phrase, like, make it easy, what you're saying really is that whose job it is to make it impossible for people to cancel their service. Yeah. That's what I'm picking up here. Like, just say what you want to say. It's better for, we think we have enough negotiating power to get what we want. And this is what we want. And here's why. And another thing about, now that I'm rereading it, so mm-hmm. many things are coming. Another thing that bothers me is at the top when they're breaking down why ebooks should be cheaper. Yeah. You know, there's no right. printing, no forecasting, no returns, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're making this like grand statement. But they're ignoring all of the kind of human cost of making right. a, not just not just an ebook, any book. Like they're not, they don't talk about editing. They don't talk about how the books that are fourteen ninety nine and nineteen ninety nine, which I agree is kind of high for an ebook. Mm-hmm. But those are hugely long, research heavy. Like Hillary Clinton's memoir right. was really expensive. But who? I mean, like I can only imagine the amount of work that had to go into that. Yeah, book. I just finished Marvel: The Untold Story. It's like the seventy year history of Marvel comics. Like yeah. it takes a huge amount of legwork and years of someone's time. And like their costs. I mean, one thing to know about publishers too is one thing they have under wraps is printing costs. Like mm-hmm. it actually, and we've seen this, we've done our own Kickstarters for a couple of our Start Here books and the cost to print a paperback, it's not that much. It's like $3, $3.50. And that's just for us who's printing like three or 500 from, you know, uh, you know, an on-demand printer essentially. And so if you have a huge printing contract with a giant printer, I'm guessing your printing costs go way, way down. Um, so no need to forecast, no returns, no loss sales due to out of stock. 
like one thing they're doing, it's a classic rhetorical move is they put all of these things in a list. So they all seem equal, right? Cause it's, it's parallel it's a parallel construction mm-hmm. where the cost of any one of these things is so minor compared to the cost to do marketing or publicity or editing or cover design or to pay royalties, pay agent fees, like uh, to pay for the rent on your office space. Yeah. Um, all of those things still exist. Ebooks cannot be resold as used books. Is that really notable enough? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like do publishers really work in to the price of their books? No. Yeah, I know. Reselling. No, well, and the other thing it doesn't take into, I mean, it says there's, that's unjustly high for an ebook, so it doesn't have all these costs, but also says $14.99, that's still about 50 to 60% cheaper than the hardcover. So all those other costs are taken out in the price. Yeah. Over a hardcover. Um, again, again, you know, I don't know, maybe it did where you've worked in a bookstore. So you maybe have a mm-hmm. more retail, you have definitely a more retail experience. Than I do, but I was thinking about this, like 30% to Amazon. I know that retailers also, they get, can get 40 to 60% discounts on, um, you know, the stock and they sell it for full price or, or discounted. Doesn't 30 to 40% of the cut of a purchase price seem a lot for a retailer? I've never really I, thought about it before, but just like all of a sudden, like the retailer gets as much as the author. That seems high to me, but maybe I'm, maybe that's unfair. I don't know. I really don't remember actually. Yeah. Like I don't remember anything about what we paid. Yeah. Um, the, like the warehouse to get the books, but. That was my gut reaction. That seems like kind of a lot, but I could be completely wrong. Right. Also, my my most popular tweet ever was about this. Like oh, something yeah? like 150 retweets. Um, and I just said, I just said, you know, Amazon says that the cost of producing ebooks is much lower than print books. And I said, well, you know what? It's even less to distribute them. And that's it. Really got me thinking. Like Amazon's costs are way way lower than the publisher's costs. Mm-hmm. And they're getting a, basically the same payout, thirty to thirty-five percent. Like, really, all they're doing is listing it and then payment processing and delivering a text file. Essentially, that's what they're doing. That and, they can take off of your device whenever they feel. They, like. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Like, and the the other thing I was wondering about too is maybe Hachette knows. Maybe they agree with Amazon's math that if we lowered the price of eBooks to nine ninety nine, we would sell a bunch more eBooks. It's possible, and we'd even make greater revenue in whole. I wonder too how much they're wanting to keep that eBook price high to protect print sales. Um, oh, interesting. Because if you drop the eBook price down, then the value proposition of buying a print book is even lower. Um, and uh, that does a couple of things. One is they make their most profitable books are hardbacks. Yeah. Right, you sell fewer of those, but then you also start consolidating Amazon's power by making you know Amazon control sixty percent of the American ebook market. You make ebook a larger piece of the pie, give Amazon more control. You further erode the under the support for independent bookstores, chain bookstores, um, re, you know mass market retailers like Target, Costco, Walmart, etc. So maybe some of it is like okay, we we're one thing we want to do is protect our other parts of the business and Amazon doesn't care about that. Cause I really do think, and I was, I was tweeting about this too, that I don't know that Amazon cares so much about killing publishers. I think what they'd like to do is kill print. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because like you think about it, like they lose money on shipping you a new hardback discounted to 1641. Mm-hmm. If they could replace all hardback sales with ebook sales, they would be thrilled because that infrastructure scales to distribute ebooks where with hardbacks, you got to, print each, you got to package each one, you got to put each one in a box, you got to deliver each one. Um, and I, I think they just, they would prefer just to be in ebooks all the time. So it would take some significant, like way more than this for me to ever. Yeah. I think, switch I think there's, reading. I think you're right. I mean, well, I know you're right. Cause you're saying it about yourself, but like, <laughs> I think you're representative of a certain piece of the, the pie, but is, would it be enough to sustain Barnes and Noble? Like how how many people are still to be converted to ebooks, and I think Amazon. We've seen ebook growth slowing. It's still growing, but it's slowing considerably as a percentage basis. And I wonder if they're like trying to find a way to keep that growth going, going, going. Where maybe there's some tipping point where most of us do most of our book buying digitally. And if that's the case, that only helps Amazon forever and ever. Amen. I've um, been fairly like neutral, I guess, on, on Amazon as a whole, just as a, like I've bought books from Amazon before. They're not my main, whatever, but I have, um, yeah, I'm not doing it anymore. Mm. 
This kind, this this whole like just skeevy, double speak, corporate yuckiness has turned me off. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm sufficiently jaded that I'm not sure that um, another corporation's a lot different. I just don't. I don't want Amazon to have a controlling hand in the book world. Um, I don't. I don't want anyone. I mean, I don't. If Barnes and Noble was doing sixty per cent of ebooks, I'm not sure that thing would be good either. I think. Like most industries, having two or three strong competitors is probably best for employees of those companies, suppliers of those employees, and customers of those employees. Um, mm-hmm. Just because somewhat like a power struggle among them, usually they have to compete all along the supply chain. Whereas Amazon's not going to have to do that, and we're not there yet. Um, you know, you can still buy an ebook from Barnes and Noble for about what you can buy on Amazon. You can you can buy books from Pals or. Barnes and Noble, you may be a little cheaper on Amazon. Sometimes it's not cheaper on Amazon to buy it in print um, if price is your number one concern. So, but you can see a day coming. And that's when I think when a lot of people get sort of like chicken little about Amazon, they're thinking five, 10 years down the road if things continue along the same path, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, I just don't like how they think they're in a position to dictate to a publisher what they do with like their royalty setups yeah. and all that. Like, that's just. Ugh, no. Well, I even, yeah, it's like if they really do have the leverage, use it. Don't do this thing of like putting your dirty laundry out there. Yeah. Because like the other thing I'm not really sure about, and I was asking people about this, like who who do we think this communication is for? Like who who's, who's going to be swayed by this? Authors? Like Hachette authors. Are they going to revolt? Or no. Like, I mean, that doesn't seem possible. Like this is pretty inside baseball for like your average reader. Um. I think Amazon, too, just being so drubbed in the PR war. Like, there's no equivalent of Colbert sticking up for Amazon. No. You know, there's no equivalent of Malcolm Gladwell sticking up for Amazon. Like, Hugh Howey, like, give me a break. Yeah, no. Um, so this like, this is what they have. And it, it's like, it's such a thing from, like, a, the first thing I thought of is, like, that scene in You've Got Mail where Tom Hanks is being interviewed. And he's like, we cheap, we sell cheap books, so sue me. <laughs> and, like, that's like, that's his, that's kind of his, his sound bite. And, like... It's not very sympathetic um, at all. And Hachette has just done great by shutting up. Yeah. They're the best and ever. And it seems like Hachette authors are totally supportive of their publisher. Yeah, you haven't seen, or at least I haven't seen anyone, a Hachette author, come out and say, Hachette, you're killing me. Just sign on the line which is dotted and let's do this thing. Um, I haven't seen one. So uh, that's that's pretty cool. Well, because if they give in and put Amazon in a position where they do get to dictate this kind of stuff to yeah. a publisher, who knows what they'll dictate. I guess probably if you're traditionally published and have made that decision, you have a healthy skepticism of Amazon anyway. It, the self-published authors or, or people that are also self-identified and put a lot of their identity in being self-published, they come out for Amazon um, for reasons I think that are understandable. Um, but there, you haven't seen many um, turncoats among the Hachette ranks. And I don't think you're, if you haven't seen them by now, boy, I don't know. I don't know when they would sort of uh, pop up. So, okay. All right. We're, we're running along on time here. You want to, you want to pick our next story? Which of the next couple do you want to talk about? Oh, I like the book club. All right. You want to talk about that one real quick? Yeah. The Flamingo Rampant Book Club. This is a Kickstarter that a very small um, children's book press is running um, to, oh, sorry, my cat. No, go away. Uh, <laughs> My cat is jumping up and sniffing all of my equipment. Mm-hmm. A very small children's book press is running a Kickstarter to have us set up a subscription book club service of kids' books that you will get, children's picture books that you'll get every other month, and all of the books have LGBTQ themes, mm-hmm. which I think is great. And the great thing about this particular uh, setup is that you know a lot of books with those kind of themes are about um, like children who are trans or who have mm-hmm. parents who are gay or lesbians going through difficult times right. or experiencing bullying or something like that. Davy has um, two know. mommies. Right. Yeah. And those books are important. Yes. But the books that this Kickstarter plans to send out are books about how awesome those kind of families can be mm-hmm. and not necessarily about like all the struggles that they might be facing. Yeah. Or they're just, it just so happens that the parents are gay. Right. Or that one like of it's the kids not the, is trans, right? Like they're going to, they're having trouble on their paper route. And it's like all the things you see in a kid's book, like Spot's going to the library and he's checked out too many books. Like this will yeah. just be where the, where I'll be, um, I always get the acronym order wrong, LGBTQ 
to S themed. So there's even more acronym at the end that I actually have to admit. Uh, oh, First Nations, Asian Pacific Islander, Middle Eastern. So race, gender, sexuality, sexual orientation, sexual identity, expression or non-expression. All those things they're gonna they're gonna fold into here. The books will be specifically written for this series. Um, their goal is forty nine thousand dollars. They've already got almost 27. They've got 12 days to go. So if this is something you're interested in, go support this. It's called the Flamingo Rampant Book Club. There'll be a link to the show notes, or you can just um, do a Google search and you can find it that way. Let's see. The, let's see. So for They're t- opening it up. To, it's not just for individuals. So like you can sign yes, up your library yes, or your school yes. library or whatever. Right, right. Um, $20 or more, I'm just trying to look at. See, that'll give you one book of your choice, coloring pages, audio book, and a book of your choice. I was trying to see if, like, can you get them all? Like, what's the get them all? A full mm-hmm. year subscription is 99, 99 bucks. Start, starting next year. Um, let's see. What else is interesting? <laughs> you get one entire year of amazing LGBTQ kids picture books full of zip and fizz and hooray. <laughs> You know what? I could use some zip and fizz and hooray. Maybe I, I could. could. Yeah. And I like in the video the uh, the person who started the press talks about he talks about um, how the books are going to be shipped in like giant pink envelopes full of glitter. So who nice. doesn't want that? I, I think we all need a little bit of that. <laughs> uh, so that's the Flamingo Rampant Book Club. I think it's a heck of an idea. So I, I'm gonna I'm trying to decide what level I'm gonna back at here. Um, it doesn't say if you can subscribe after it's live or not. I, I'm, I'm assuming you can, but yeah. probably and smartly, they're not saying that you can, so they get people to, to pony up right here if it's interested in for you. Um, yeah, they've already picked some of the titles. They haven't been written, but they have a synopsis and a, t- and a, and a title here. Um, newspaper Pirates, Home <laughs> Together, is that, a boy, is that for a boy or for a girl? By S. Bear Bergman, that's one of the project's organizers, an inclusive and feminist book showing 12 awesome kids speaking the first-person rhyme about how, how they and their activities interrupt the pink-blue dichotomy in some way. That's awesome. Sounds pretty good to me. Pretty oh, good to me. All right, let's do our next sponsor. Our next sponsor are old friends at Audible. Oh, yeah. Audible.com, the leading purveyor of audiobooks. Um, they have over 150,000 titles to choose from, from fiction, nonfiction, bestsellers, every category imaginable. Um, one thing that's interesting is there's a rise of subscription services and streaming services. This isn't one of those. You get to keep your files. Those files are yours. Um, you get There are free apps for iPhones, and Android, Windows. Basically, if you have a mobile device that's not um, from the Stone Age, it can play an Audible file. You can download and listen to your... At any time, they're, they're, they're supported native apps for all of these things. And one thing that um, a lot of people don't know is that one Audible account can be played on up to three mobile devices. So if you've got a family, um, a couple, or you know whatever arrangement actually doesn't necessarily even have to be family, you can give up to three people um, your credentials, and they can log in and listen to the same account, which is pretty cool, I think. Um, Let's you access your books anytime from your phone, anywhere else they go. There was something else I was going to say. Oh, this is one thing I don't think we've talked about before. They have a money-back guarantee. So if you've bought one through Audible and you hated it or there's something wrong, get your money back, no questions asked, which is very, very cool. Um, Go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot for a free 30-day trial. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. And that 30-day trial includes an audiobook of your choice. The other thing about going to that URL is that it lets them know we sent you, that you heard about them from us, um, which is good for everyone involved. I have an audiobook pick. Um, I actually just mentioned it. I've just finished Marvel, The Untold Story. It's a history of Marvel comics from basically the late 30s all the way up until just after the release of the Avengers movies fascinating, super detailed, like there's a lot of super inside baseball. So if you're a casual comics fan or just sort of like a business historian, you're interested in stories about big business, this is maybe a little more specific that you want. But if you're the kind of person that's been following comics for a long time or getting into comics in a serious way and you want to know the history of how these characters came about and the politics of the business and the ins and outs, I found it super, super interesting. Um, what struck me is that we all know the name Stan Lee, and he was super influential in the early days of comic of Marvel, especially in the creation of Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, 
X-Men, but really after about 1965, he wasn't creating anything anymore for Marvel. And really the, the characters oh. we all know, all of those comics, all those characters we all know really were created from like 61 to 65. And they've just been growing and retreaded and rebooted and cycled in and out ever since then. There have been some other comics um, characters created since then, but all those people in the Avengers, let me see, is that right? Hawkeye, Black Widow, Hulk, uh, Iron, Man, Iron Man, Thor. Yeah, I think they were all already created by like 1966. All the X-Men were, not all the X-Men, some came later, but the idea of the X-Men, the team of the X-Men, um, the conceit of the X-Men was, was already created by 1966. And Marvel wasn't, it's not been a very well-run company, but the strength <laughs> of the IP, the intellectual property, is so strong that despite all the screw-ups and selfishness and short-sightedness by the various runners of the company over the decades, it still succeeded, um, which I don't know, I, I guess is more, I guess that's more a vote for the strength of the, the characters and the art than it is the business. Whereas, let's say, I recently read um, a book about Pixar, and that they make great movies, but also a wonderfully run business, which is a different, uh, just a different thing entirely. So that's the Marvel, that's Marvel the Untold Story, which it was 19 hours, so it was a haul on audio, but I really liked that. So that was my audio book I've been listening to recently. You've been listening to anything recently on audio I am listening to that, the Pixar book you just mentioned. Oh, do you like started, it? Yeah, Creativity Inc. Yeah. Um, Ah, it's so, so gossipy, actually. Oh, oh, Marvel's way more gossipy than this even, and than that even. Oh, that's good to yeah, know. Yeah, then yeah. I'm going to, I love business gossip. Yeah, okay, cool. I just, I'm at the part just now where I think Ed Catmull, Catmull. I don't remember his Yeah, name. Ed Catmull. Yeah, uh, just uh, got bought by Steve Jobs, ah, and like yes. all of his gossipy stuff about Steve Jobs' personality is so good. It's, it's very so good. good. It's very good. That's a very interesting book, too, Creativity Incorporated by Ed Catmull, both of which are available on Audible. So audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring the show. And thank you so much for using that URL if you want to try out Audible. All right, let's do new books. New books. Pretty new good books. week for new books for late July, it seems yeah. to me. Um, let's see. I will start. And I didn't even know this book was out until you rounded up this week in um, our weekly Fresh Ink column on Book Riot, in which um, you or one of the other editors have been rounding up, you know, basically what the new and interesting titles are for that week. The Childhood of Jesus by J.M. Kotze. Um, Kose, the Nobel Prize winning South African writer. Um, so I, I don't, he does stuff like this where he gives a provocative title and then the synopsis isn't necessarily about what the title is about. <laughs> so this one's called Womp The Childhood Womp. of Jesus. And this is about, um, there's a character who was separated from his mother and he's been on a boat, literally adrift. And he, there was a piece of paper that apparently explained the situation um, but a fellow passenger on this boat decides to look after them. And then David and Simon, if you, if you know your Bible at all, all, you know, your radar's up with those names. Mm -hmm. Um, they're given new names, new birthdays in this strange new land, and they go out and try to find David's mother. Kotze at his best, it sounds like this is like classic Kotze where it's allegorical. It's like somewhat mysterious, speculative, kind of dystopian, frankly, um, like Waiting for the, Bar Waiting for the Barbarians, um, I think is his most famous novel. It sort of takes place at the, at the border of these two warring countries in this future dystopian wilderness kind of place. Um, and it's, his books tend to be about morality, um, memory, philosophy, and ethics. Um, and they're, I always find them fascinating. And that's his new book called The Childhood of Jesus, out this week from Penguin. I will be reading this at some point. I don't know when, but I read... Uh, we were talking... You and I were talking on Twitter this week about um, actually author sort of pull lists, right? Which authors do we read everything by? Autobuys. Auto yeah, auto, uh, auto, uh, auto buys. And uh, Kotze is one for me. But I didn't know this was out. So super on the DL from Penguin that the new book yeah. was coming out. Um, well, this is the the Tiger Man. You talk so tell us about Tiger Man. That's probably the biggest new book of the week, the one we've seen most people talking about. Yeah, this is the one I'm excited about. I haven't read it yet, but I'm super excited to get my hands on it. This is uh, Tiger Man is Nick Harkaway's uh, new book. He wrote Angel Maker, which I read I think two years ago. Mm -hmm. That was it, it's just a great like rompy, fun, weird fantasy ish sort of book. And Tiger Man, from what I can tell, is is sort of along the, the same synopsis lines. is insane. Like it makes yeah. me feel like I'm having a stroke. <laughs> So it's about a, a sergeant in the British Army named Lester who's uh, nearing 40. 
he's kind of burned out and he's about to retire. And the government sends him to an island called Mancro, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, that's kind of an illegal sort of limbo. It's got a lot of toxic pollution and there's a lot of crime happening mm. and weird shady shenanigans. So he goes there to serve out the rest of his time until he can retire. And then as the island starts to sort of fall apart, Lester befriends a street kid who is obsessed with the internet and comic books. And it's, so it's about like their relationship. Wait, I'm in this, I'm in this book? Oh, you I, didn't, are. I didn't know I was in this book. Okay. Are you an internet adult street kid? <laughs> well, I mean, I, Maybe I do have a lot of street knowledge. That's true. Yeah. Um, so as the island falls apart, uh, Lester's relationship with the kid grows closer. It becomes kind of paternal. And then, of course, in Harkaway fashion, there's some crazy underground shady shenanigans happening. <laughs> so I'm really excited to read it. Uh, you liked Angel Maker. I loved Angel Maker. Angel Maker is a f- perennial favorite of the Book Riot contributors. Um, did you read it? I haven't. Did you see me <sighs> skirting that? You saw it. You, yes. you heard me skirting it. I did. I did. Um, I've never gotten around <laughs> to it. I actually downloaded it. It was I was in doing my deals.bookride.com rounds. It was on sale from downpour.com for $4 on audio. So I bought oh, that. And I don't know cool. when I'm going to listen to it. Um, I wonder how that would be on audio. I tend to not do great with fiction. But I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't resist four bucks. I don't know what to say. Couldn't do it. Um, it's just, oh man, it's got like a ninety-year-old World War II spy lady. I know it has to do with bees, but that's about it. Mechanical bees. <laughs> Mecha- oh right, okay, of course. So there's a big difference: mechanical bees and a big bad evil uh, villain, and it's, it's just so yeah. Um, he's in, he's in really fun and interesting on Twitter as well. That's yeah. uh, one thing I can say. Okay, the last pick this week. Amy Bloom is not an auto buy for me, but she's an auto consider buying. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. She's a great short story writer. Um, one of my favorite short story writers. What a great technician, writes writer of beautiful sentences. And she has a novel out this week from Random House called Lucky Us. It's about two sisters. Um, and one of them gets abandoned on the other one's porch, essentially. They're half-sisters. They don't have much in common, except they discover they also have the same father. Um, they don't have really any motherly connection. Um, a, a father who is their nominally their father, but doesn't really take care of them though. He, he provides shelter and maybe that's about it. Um, and they strike up a sisterhood slash friendship where Eva has always wanted to, uh, excuse me, their names are Eva and Iris and Iris has always wanted to be the movie star and Eva is content to be their sidekick. And they kind of take, it sounds like sort of a, I don't know, like, maybe more of a, um, it's kind of like an on the road type situation in that they strike out and they're crossing the country and they go to Hollywood and Long Island. Um, it takes place over several decades and they go to, you know, they read tarot cards and they go in the high life, um, in tea parties in Hollywood and Long Island, but also down into sort of the lower depths and the demi as well. Um, and, there's something about this that really appeals to me. I don't know if it's like it's summertime and I want to take a road trip, um, but it's also this period of American history of which I'm especially interested in, um, 1930s to the 50s. You don't see books like this 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 often where it's kind of um, women striking out for the territories to make fame and fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm also interested in. I, I haven't seen, frankly, Amy Bloom in my memory try something disambitious. Um, she tends to be, in my memory, has been, it's been a while since I've read one of her books, so if I've mischaracterized this, I, I super apologize, but more kind of in the Alice Monroe milieu, where like she doesn't, she doesn't have the same style, but it's like home and house and family and domesticity and the sort of the existential richness of that and despair of that, where this is much more like, I don't know, kind of like, reminds me of like, almost like Water for Elephants and it's sort of conceit of like going across and all this crazy stuff happening. So I'm interested in that combination of Amy Boom's impeccable style with this wider canvas. Um, she tends to write short novels and short, well, short stories too, so probably a good uh, plane or train read as well. I can't believe it's been an hour already. I know. It just, we just whipped by there. Um, lots to say. Lots to say. As always, you can find us um, on Twitter, I'm at Reading Ape. You are at I am. I'm, a man, I, I'm Amanda Nelson. I'm Amanda Nelson. <laughs> um, you can find show notes, as I said, for this show, bookwrite.com slash podcast. If you want to give us some feedback, you can tell us anything you like. Uh, the email is po- uh, podcast at bookwrite.com. Um, we've got the t-shirts that will be on sale for the next week. So if you're interested in that, get on that 
while they're available. Um, check out Amanda on YouTube. There'll be a link to there as well. Book Riot Deals is new. Thanks so much to 99designs and Audible for sponsoring the show. If you want to rate us on iTunes, that's great. A review would be even better. But don't feel any pressure. Only if you want to. Maybe you're waiting for an airplane. Um, you're watching a movie. You've got your laptop out. And you think about, oh, the Book Riot podcast folks, they could really use a good review. That helps us people find the show. And we'll be back next week with more uh, hijinks about books. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, Amanda. Bye. Bye.